0: The following is a presentation of the Open Door Bible Baptist Church and Pastor Chris Tice. For more audio and video content, please check us out on the web at www.opendoornj.org. I want to ask you a question that maybe some of us uh, maybe need to ask ourselves or have maybe had this happen in our lives or maybe continuing to this day. But uh, have any of you ever in your life ever locked, lacked confidence? ever in your life. Now I can, I'll go through a couple of ways where we can lack confidence. For some, uh, maybe you've lacked confidence in a product. Uh, You heard the rave about this 20-pound bag at Costco that is going to just save you so much money, the product is just going to help you, and you go there, you pick it up, you're all excited, I mean the aesthetics look wonderful, Uh, the packaging, everything it promises, oh it's going to help you, it's going to do this, this is the rave, this is wonderful. You buy it and whether it's when you got home and you opened it, or maybe over time you realized that it wasn't all that it was cracked up to be. You ever had that before, a certain product, right? I mean, that, that label, the packaging, it did not live up to its hope. And so what that does for you is you start to lose confidence in, let's just say, that brand, right? Or that kind of product or whatever that uh, thing may be. You lose confidence, and so you may not go back and buy that again, right? Makes sense. Now let's move it a little closer. What if you've lacked confidence in a person. Maybe uh, you've given somebody a task. uh, Somebody, whether they're close to you or not, you've given them a task, and uh, you're relying on them, hoping that whether the task was big or small, you were hoping that they were going to follow through with it, and they didn't. They fell short. What does that do? That gives you a lack of confidence in that person, right? I can't rely on this person. Now they fell short. But even along those same lines, take it even a step deeper, what if that person was someone close to you, and rather than just giving them a task, it was somebody that you confided in. It was somebody that you had all your confidence in, that they were there for you, that they were going to be with you, thick or thin, um, and then only to be betrayed, uh, only to be hurt, um, only to ruin that confidence that you had in them. And maybe some, you don't have to raise your hand, but maybe some in the room tonight you've had that happen to you, you've been betrayed, and what happened? You lost confidence in that person. Let's take it even deeper. What if not only have you lost confidence in a product or in a person, but how many of us, and I think I can speak at least for myself, have lost confidence in yourself? Maybe you've lost confidence where you, on a job or an occupation, if we could put it in, in those terms, and you felt like you couldn't live up to the task or what the job was demanding you? Uh, maybe even this, maybe as a dad, I've had times where, am I being a good dad? <laughs> am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Moms, can you can you attest to that? Am, am I being who I'm supposed to be even as a Christian? And even one step deeper into that, have you ever lost confidence along those lines? Am I in Christ? Am I truly saved? Do I have full assurance? Am I you ever have a lack of confidence? Some doubt? It's amazing through this book, and even as we named it authentic, I've found so many so much where John, and even again after tonight in chapter five, is going to talk about assurance of your salvation. And almost wanted to call it assurance because he's going leaps and bounds to making sure through God and his spirit to tell us that, hey, you're in Christ. And all of us, especially myself tonight, I want to talk to to that about authentic confidence. And as we talked about several months ago about assurance, John brings it up again, uh, but he gives it even in a deeper light. He's not just kind of repeating something so he can fill up some space on a page. Uh, He is trying to tell the church there that was dealing with a lot of false preaching uh, about Jesus, about their salvation. He was trying to keep them from falling, like Jude says, and he was trying to reassure them about their confidence that they can truly have in Christ. And for many of us, if you're like me, especially when I was a teenager, I had so many times where my, I felt like I was just on fire for God. I mean, I just wanted to read my Bible, wanted to pray. And then the moment uh, or season, and maybe for some of us it's been years, or wherever you find yourself, we all have a time where we have doubt. and We all have a time where we lose assurance and when you lose assurance you lose confidence cuz you see strong confidence is always built on true assurance it's almost like this it's kind of like the whole bully thing you got someone if you know, you've ever been bullied in school i've had sometimes growing up in philly on the street there were some people that would bully me and stuff but i always felt good when i knew my parents were around right or if you knew if you've seen some shows where that friend the person who's been bullied finds someone named tiny and they're you know nine foot you know ten and hundred you know three hundred and fifty pounds right uh, they're not scared of that bully why because they know if tiny comes with them what I'm ready to roll oh and then they start smack talking and all that and they start what they gain confidence why because they're assured by someone that's going to help them you see all when we have confidence it's because it's built on true assurance when we lack assurance our confidence becomes unsettled when our foundation is unsettled our bu- buildings collapse. When it comes to having confidence in our salvation, we must understand where our assurance lies. And I love what John, and we're going to jump into it, but John tonight gives us four steps that we must take when our assurance and confidence in Christ becomes under attack. And just to jump into it tonight, number one, we must must comprehend the truth. We must comprehend the truth. Uh, If you join with me in chapter uh, three in verse number 18, this is kind of where Pastor Justin left off, and really it's the springboard into the rest of the verses that we'll stay in tonight, Uh, but there's a truth that we have to understand. As we previously learned, uh, love for God and others is the supreme evidence of one's salvation in God. Uh, To truly love God is to truly love others. John writes that we ought to love in action. Look what he says in verse number 18, my little children... Let us not love in word, right? We don't speak with words. I could tell you so many words and letters that I love you, but unless I express it, uh, those words mean nothing. He said, let's rather than say it, let's do it. Neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. He says this. He says, rather than a say it with our mouth, but also rather than say it in tongue, in other words, insincerity. he says, let's do it in action, And in truth, we understand that love not expressed isn't love at all. Uh, If we say that we love someone but don't express it, uh, then we're just fooling ourselves. But I love what the Apostle Paul said in chapter 13, because there is a thing in here that's important where he says, in deed and in truth, right? We got the deed part down. We understand that that's action. But what does he mean, and in truth? You see, Paul says in the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians, he says, If I were to give all my money, he's being exaggerative on purpose, very sarcastic throughout that book to the Corinthians because they were so high in their knowledge uh, and their philosophy. Uh, He says, If I were to give all my money to the poor, he says, If I were to give my body to be burned, he says, and I have not love, charity, sincerity with that, he says, it profits nobody. It doesn't profit you. Doesn't profit me. He says, I could go to the most extreme. The most, well, you say he's burning, he's sacrificing himself. You say he's giving all his money to the poor, but if it's not in love, he says, it profits nobody. Doesn't profit you, doesn't profit the person you gave all the money to. See, we have to love in indeed and in truth. And the reason why he gives this is he's trying to assure the Christian that uh, the true sign of a true believer is someone who loves others, someone who loves people. Uh, listen, there are very good moral people in this world that could go and help the homeless and go and help people. And I, listen, I'm, that's wonderful and that's great. And you say, well, everybody, there's moral people out there that know how to love people. Yes, but how many of them love their enemies? I don't even know how to love my enemies, except through God's spirit. By the way, it's the only way by which we can do those things. You can't love your enemy, someone who's hurt you. I recently seen a, a video not long ago, and it was, a, a, and I won't get into too many details, but it was kind of a, an officer, uh, I believe, accidentally shot someone and killed someone because he thought that he was pulling out a gun. And the brother, in, when the whole trial was being found and gave his statement in front of everybody, forgave her. I mean, she killed, and then they hugged and they wept, and people were crying. And I'm like, how is that? He talked and was able to give a sure account, give a gospel in that courtroom, and talked about forgiveness and how hard that was for him. But you see, you can only do that by God's Spirit. There's nothing naturally in us that wants to do that. I can give all my money to the poor, I can do this and do nice things and pay for the meal and the drive through, someone behind me, do all that stuff, and that's wonderful. But God says there's something deeper than that the true sign of a Christian. The number one sign is that the love of God is in them and it's demonstrated and it's thrown through other people. And so this is the truth that we have to comprehend. This is something that we ourselves have to see because look what he says in verse number 19. He says, my little children, in verse 18, let us not love the world. uh, let, Let us love not in word, excuse me, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Now, he says in verse number 19, and hereby we... No. In other words, some other translations, it means the same thing, but some say, by this we know, because of this we know, all the same stuff. Hereby we know what we just said, everything that was just stated, excuse me, just stated, everything up there that we have to love our neighbor as ourselves, that we love them indeed and in truth. This is how we know that what? We are of the truth. We are of the truth and shall assure our hearts. Before him. You see, I love what Jesus attested to this in John's gospel, something else he wrote through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. What did Jesus say to his disciples? He said to his disciples in John 13, 35 By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if you have a wonderful haircut and nice suit. No. If you Keep all the law and the commandments and, and, and as far as the law is the Old Testament and, and not murdering people and, and keeping a good standard and have good things. No, he says, and not because of what's in your bank account, uh, not uh, who your mom and who your dad are. No, he says, by this shall all men know. And by the way, you included that you're his disciple. What? That you love one another and that you have love one to another. It is not what we wear, what we say, where we go that determines to others that we are of God, but by loving one another. Many lost people in this world know how to love their family, friends, and even show love and compassion on people who are in need of love and help, but it is only by God's Spirit that we can love our enemies and foes. Once we truly understand this truth, we have to understand that there's another step that we must follow. So if you find yourself in your life, you're saying, you know, I haven't, you know, I, yes, you know, I've had times in my life where I've loved on people. I'm in church, I'm serving, I'm helping, I'm giving. And, and especially in my life, there's so much evidence one day where I just like, man, I'm on fire for God. I have a desire for God's word. I have a desire to help people. I don't know if I do it all the best that I can do, uh, but I have a desire for it uh, by his spirit. Uh, and there's days where you feel like really high. But then the moment, almost like when you get that reassurance and you comprehend the truth that we are in him because of the love that he has in us that we give to others. There's almost like a wet blanket that comes on right after it follows. You ever had a message maybe that stirred you, and then it stirred you to change, and you're just like, yes, I need to get right with God. Yes, I need to do this. I haven't been doing it. And then you want to just go out and, and help people and do it. I've had so many times every Sunday, uh, every Wednesday, or even just in my own Bible reading, I'm like, yes, I want to do it. But then there's something that deceives us. Uh, something that just throws that wet blanket on us. And we have all this assurance built up because we know the truth. The Word of God has said it. It explained it, and we take it by faith. But then there's this enemy that's out there that is deceitful, and it's wicked, and it puts that wet blanket on us. For some of you, you're like, it's the devil. And that's true. He's a part of it, but it's not what John says here. The Bible says it's our heart. In other words, this. He says, not only do we must commend the tru- comprehend the truth, but secondly, we must understand our condemning heart. Our condemning hearts. Look what he says in verse number 24. For if our heart condemn us. In other words, this. He the moment you realize and you get that assurance from God's word or through preaching, however it is, and you understand, yes, I'm a child of God. Yes, I'm saved. And we understand that John's talking to Christians here. Uh, he's not talking, this is an evangel- evangelical kind of message he's giving. He's talking to Christians. He's trying to reassure them. He says, for if our heart condemn us, because our heart is sometimes the number one enemy when it comes to our assurance of our salvation. Sometimes our worst enemy can be within our own selves. We live in a world that believes our heart is the greatest GPS to our lives. That if we follow our hearts, we will ultimately, we will find our purpose and answers. In other words, it's a reliable source. It's something, uh, you know, follow your heart, follow your dreams. It'll lead you, it'll guide you. And Hollywood and, and many other things and places, the TV, are very good at this propaganda of saying that, yes, follow your heart, find your truth find those things, but yet the Bible says so opposite of that. Uh, everything the Bible says, and we don't have to go, I'm not going to be able to tonight go into a whole message about what the Bible says about the heart, but I think for some of us, we can find it uh, in Jeremiah 17.9 if you want to turn there tonight. Jeremiah 17.9, I think this sums up a good portion of it, uh, but Jeremiah was living in a day where people were breaking the commandments. He is prophesying that Babylon was going to come and take them all out if they did not turn and repent. And we understand by the history of the Bible that they did not. Babylon came. Uh, But Jeremiah uh, was uh, the reason for their their fall is he deals with many issues, but one of them was their heart. He says in Jeremiah 17, 9, he says what? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. If we are not careful, our heart can condemn us. Warren Wiersbe says this, he says, a condemning heart is one that robs a believer of peace. In other words, when the moment you have that assurance, sometimes our own self, our heart, some, almost like the devil, I mean, he, again, he provokes and he's just as wicked and deceitful as anyone, but sometimes he just has to list, let us listen to our own heart sometimes. You see, the world says that our heart is reliable, but according to Jeremiah, a heart is deceitful, which means to be sly or insidious, our heart is one of the biggest deceivers in our lives. It can mislead us and direct us down a path of destruction. The word insists on that we follow our heart and trust, uh, trust its ways, or the world says that, but in the end, it only leads us to our own destruction. It not only says that it's deceitful, misleading, sly, insidious, but it also says that it's desperately wicked. It's interesting, when you look up that word in its original, it almost has the word ill and sick behind it. In other words, your heart is sick, kind of wicked. You ever seen this world and people do some wicked, sick, ill things? That's your heart. God gave it to me. It's your heart. He says, that is your heart. And not only is it desperately wicked, but it's also undiscoverable. Who can know it? Who can know the heart? You see, the world that says that it's reliable and you can trust it, then why, does, why did David say in his psalm, create in me a clean heart? If it was so reliable, why has God got to clean it? If it's so reliable, why does God have to renew a right spirit within him? Because David knew in that repentive psalm of Psalm 51 with Bathsheba, he knew that he followed his heart that day and look where it led him. You see, we have to understand that our heart is deceitful, it's wicked and we cannot know it but here's the greatest thing when it comes to our salvation and we have that assurance in our lives maybe we leave our prayer closet maybe we we leave the church house and we get on fire and we say yes I'm assured because of the love of God that's in me the love that I have for others but then the heart says do you you know the other day there was somebody in that drive through you, you know you didn't give them a, you didn't invite them to church I oh, didn't show love oh, am I saved you know there there was a time I and I don't even know if I told Liz this but we were last year we went to uh uh, we went on a little honeymoon, uh, the honeymoon thing, uh, that, was, that was five years ago, uh, but we uh, or six years ago, uh, but we went on an um, uh, anniversary uh, trip, and we went to Lancaster and Lancaster City, and believe it or not, Lancaster City is a city. Yes, I thought there'd be, you know, horses and stuff, but no, it's actually a city. It reminded me a little bit of Philadelphia, walking around the town and everything, um, but we were out there, and uh, we were getting some breakfast and walking around some market, and there was this homeless guy. Uh, uh, sitting around asking people for money, I kind of noticed in the beginning, uh, but I remember as we left, or as we were going through, I mean, it was kind of like, you know, some, he sought me out in the crowd, and it was very packed that day, it was just kind of like, we're trying to go, she's holding my hand, <laughs> I mean, that's kind of it was, it was almost like, I felt like how Jesus felt when he was going through the crowd, trying to heal somebody, and the woman comes and grabs him, like, he literally was tapping and grabbed my shirt, and he said, hey man, and I just saw his face, and I already knew what he was going to say, and me, I'm thinking in my mind, you know, with my wife, I'm trying to have a good day, you know, I, I don't, I, I'm already thinking about, okay, do I have cash? Because I really wanted to help him, but I wanted to also get him, to be honest with you, I wanted him to hand him money and go away. Before I even handed him money, he was just like, listen, man, you know, he wasn't even asking at money at first, he just said, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to, I just got, I don't know if he said he got out of jail or something, but he's, he's homeless, he's trying to get to this shelter, he doesn't have any, gas, you know, bus money and all this stuff, and all I had was a dollar, and I kind of just gave it to him. And then I just left, and I just said, I'm sorry, this is all I have. And he's like, oh, you know, he was very thankful for it, but just, you know, I gave it to him, and I left. And kind of throughout the day, ironically, that night, we saw the Jesus, uh, Jesus play. And I saw to the great leaps and bound, Christ went to the maniac of there in that scene. I just thought of that guy. I'm like, I just gave him a dollar to get him out of my way. Like, <laughs> you talk about conviction. And I remember my own heart kind of sitting there thinking, like, like man, like, almost, I don't know if I got to the point where I said, am I saved, but, Man, there was definitely a lack of love on my part. And how many of you have been there? You, you've doubted, you're like, nah. and your heart kind of starts to say, hey, you know what? Hey, you know, I, I know you've, you've prayed a prayer. I know you've done these things, and you've been in church all your life, and I understand that you've had great wins and victories, but are you? Are you? Are you in Christ? Are, I mean, truly, his love. And is any, am I just the only one? Your heart starts to, to play those tricks on you and deceive you. But here is the most awesome and wonderful truth of God's word. Look what he says. I love how he says in verse number 19, how he says that uh, for if our heart condemn us, and and again, other translations is the same way. Some say when our heart condemns us, or uh, in the King James here, for if our heart condemns us, it's basically saying it's going to happen. It will happen. Your heart will have a moment many times in your life where it'll condemn you, but here's the greatest truth. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. He says it's undiscoverable, right? Who can know the heart? God can. God knows our heart and he knows his children. He knows who they are. Uh, no matter what you feel one day or the next, God is greater. No matter what others may say or not say about you, God is greater. No matter what past your heart uh, your, your heart brings up or others bring up to you, God is greater. When you feel, when you feel uh, there's nothing, no change in your life, or you feel that uh, nothing you do is good enough, it doesn't matter, because God is greater than your heart. When your heart seeks to condemn you, remind it of what Paul says in Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now... No condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Once we have understood this great truth, that yes, the love of God, that is what shows us that we're in him. The moment our heart begins to deceit, uh, the moment our heart begins to, uh, to question us, God reminds us that he is greater than our hearts I love. It's kind of like the prodigal son story. Both of them were prodigals. One just stayed home, and one went away. But I love how the heart. You know, and again, rightfully so. Uh, the other son who ran away. He he went. He was in the pig pen. I mean, he followed his heart. He followed everything about it, and it led him eating with the pigs. And know what he said. He knew his heart condemned him. He knew that he was no worthy to go back to his dad. So he had his speech ready to go, speech ready to fire off. And he was saying, I, I'm no worthy to be his son. I'll be his slave. I'll be whatever he wants me to do uh, because I'm no longer to be called his son. But I love what the father does. He runs out to him, has a party for him and says, I'm greater than your heart. Hey, you're my son. Hey, let's, let's get the robe on him, let's get the ring, let's, put the, let's kill the fatted calf, let's get him ready because he's my son and he's returned home, and that's what God does for us. Every time you feel in your heart that you are not a child of God, God goes leaps and bounds to tell you, yes, you are, because I'm greater than your heart, greater than your heart. I love uh, this old hymn that recently was actually, the writings were discovered uh, several years ago, maybe about five or six years ago. I'm not exactly sure, but not very long ago. Uh, it was written over a 100 years ago by Ada Habershin. and uh, it was only until uh, Matt Merker, uh, a composer, a very well-talented pianist, uh, I believe in 2012, found it in a time of his life where he uh, was questioning his own faith. And the reason why was because people that he dearly loved, people that he respected that we're in Christ, that we're in church, began to, for whatever reason, fall away from the faith, which the Bible talks about that, you know, it's only by his spirit that we can call him Lord. And to say that you curse God means the spirit was never in you because the spirit never curses the Lord. The spirit of God never uh, condemns the Lord, but he says that he had many people, and maybe you've had some people in your life that have fallen away, and he loved the Lord, but he felt because of these, Heroes in his life that were falling away, uh, he felt as if he was slipping away to his faith, was becoming altered. But he found these words in a time, in that exact time frame of his life. And I love it. We sing it all the time, but he composed this famous song. Uh, but I love specifically what he notes on the second verse. He says, Those he saves are his delight. Christ will hold me fast. Precious in his holy sight, he will hold me fast. He'll not let my soul be lost. His promises shall last. Bought by him at such a cost, he will hold me fast. Isn't that a great truth? That even when our heart is unsettled and and uneasy, when our heart condemns us, Christ will hold us fast. He'll remind us each and every time, you're my child and I'm greater than your heart. Not only do we see this progression, once we realize the evidence of our salvation is always in, we understand that uh, when the Bible says obey his commandments and his commandments is love thy neighbor as thyself, love the Lord thy God, uh, we understand that uh, when we lovingly obey his commandments, uh, that it's uh, the the obeying of the commandments is not the purchase of our salvation, but it's the proof of our salvation. So when we know that we love God and that we're in him, uh, we have to understand that the moment we understand that, that our condemning heart is right around the corner uh, to discourage us, but God is greater than our hearts. And then once we know that God is greater than our hearts, then we begin to see a new confidence in God, a confidence in God. Look what he says. He says, beloved, in verse 21, beloved, if our heart condemn us not, meaning it can't anyway, by the way, it can't condemn you. Uh, If you're a child of God and you're saved, uh, by the blood of Jesus Christ, your heart cannot condemn you because God is greater than your heart. So he says, beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have what? Confidence towards God. Remember we said earlier, confidence is built on true assurance, right? My confidence can be built on where my assurance lies. And as you see, as believers, once we can fully grasp that our unreliable hearts can, cannot condemn us, Then we find a new breath of assurance, which leads us to have confidence in the one who is greater. You see, it gives us not only that, but you see, he says it gives us confidence in verse 22 in prayer. See, when you realize that you are in Christ and he's in you and you have this utmost confidence, now John says that we can go to him boldly in prayer. Look what he says in verse 22, and whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing. In his sight. Now, I have to address something. Because this is not... If you take this verse and not read the rest of the book and take it at face value, which many false religions have done, this is a prosperity message. Name it and claim it. Because he says that whatsoever you ask, we receive of him. Because we work and keep his commandments. And we do all that stuff that's pleasing. And that's why God's going to answer my prayer. So if I want a BMW, I just got to love people. I got to do those things. And God's going to give it. The Bible... The scripture, the word of God doesn't support any of that. If you go in chapter five and we don't have to go there and maybe if I'm the one or Pastor Justin, we'll be able to address it. John actually addresses it and kills that argument wholeheartedly in chapter five, verse 14 and 15. I'll read them for you because he says, and this is the confidence, same lines. This is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, He heareth us, and we know that he heareth us whatsoever we ask. We know that we have the petitions that were desired of him. You see, we understand that God does answer prayers, and yes, God will answer prayers, but he's not going to answer them in the way that we want him to answer them. How many of you figured that out already? that God knows way better than us. And so this is not a name and claim it verse that many people have used and false teachers and prosperity gospel has tried to preach. Uh, But what it is trying to say, just simply put, if I can just help you, is that when we have this confidence in God and knowing that he's our Lord, I'm in him and he's in me, uh, when we have this utmost confidence that he's greater than our heart, what that does for us is it allows us to confidently go to him in prayer and boldly give him our hearts Boldly give him our petitions, boldly give him our cares, and we understand that he answers our prayers. The Bible says when he answers our prayers, we know that that doesn't mean that he answers them right away. How many of you found that out? How many you know it's been years later? How many you know it's been, maybe some are sudden, maybe some are uh, uh, not long after, but we also know that uh, God is not going to answer in our timing, but what it does mean is that because we believe in God, in other words, this, have you ever prayed without confidence that God was going to hear your prayers? I had. I prayed out of obligation because I'm supposed to, and I believe God blesses that in some sort. You're being faithful, but man, there are times like, God, I'm giving this to you, but I know you're not going to answer it. (laughs) God, I know I'm going to give this to you, but I have no idea when you'll answer, if you'll answer it. It's probably not your will. Am I I the only one? You've had that. You see, when you realize the God who's greater than your heart, the God who loves you, who's able to keep you from falling the God who's able to, uh, who never leaves you nor forsake you, when you understand who you serve and who your assurance lies in, it gives you that confidence in prayer. You know what, God? I don't know how you're going to answer it, but you know what? I'm going to pray to you today. I'm going to give you my, my cares I'm going, to give you my, I'm going to give you all my worries, everything. I'm going to cast on you because you care for us. And whether you answer them or not, whether you answer them in my timing, or your timing, I know yours is always perfect and always well, and I have the utmost confidence that you'll answer them in your way. You see, it gives us, once we understand and comprehend the truth, we have to be careful because our heart is the first enemy, along with the devil, that would like to put out that fire and put that out, out that assurance. But once we realize that it can't condemn us because there's no condemnation then that they're in Christ Jesus, then we have an utmost confidence in God. And then once we realize that and can confidently and boldly enter his gates and cast all our cares upon him, then it leads us to what John gives us lastly. And, it gives, and that is a communion to enjoy. Look what he says in verse number 24. And he that keepeth, or excuse me, back up to verse 23, he says this uh, in in regards to his commandments. He says this uh, in in verse number 22. And whatsoever we ask of him, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Uh, But then also, what are his commandments? He gives us a a show of what those commandments are because we hear about it a lot. But he says, look at his commandments. He says that, one, we believe on Jesus, that we believe on Jesus Christ, and then not only that, but what? That we love one another. You see, the reason why he has to bring up that we believe on Jesus is because many in those days, those false teachers, the agnostics, all of them, were not believing that Jesus was the Christ. And so he says, here's his commandments that, that we keep. He says that we believe on him. First and foremost, even to just to take a step back, if you've never believed on Jesus Christ, then you have to go all the way back to step one. Uh, this is, he's writing to Christians, and he's saying, hey, listen, those, those, those teachers, those false teachers that are giving you and, and uh, polluting your mind with the thing that Jesus, is he the Christ, is he the Messiah, did he rise, is he still dead? No, he says, we believe that he is the Messiah, that he is the Christ. But not only that, but his commandments is that we love one another, and that we love and that we keep his commandments, and that is the greatest of the commandments of all. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. But then, as now we go back into 24, he says this. It's a communion that we enjoy. 24, he says, and he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. And then here's that phrase again that we heard in the beginning of 19, and hereby we know. In other words, by this we know. When we do this and we keep his commandments, that means he dwelleth in us. And hereby we know that what? He abideth in us by the Spirit which he hath given us. The end result we will all have when we understand the truth of the love of God, uh, the truth that love for God and others is the greatest indicator of one's salvation, and that no one can take it or separate it from you, from, uh, from you not even your heart. Then we begin to have a newfound confidence in God, which provokes us to, peti- to give us our petitions, our wants, our cares toward him, whatever our needs and desires are, and that he will hear them and answer them according to his purpose and will, because we keep his word. We then find ourselves in a sweet communion with God through his spirit. We are in him and him in us. In other words, we become all wrapped up in him. I don't know if this illustration would really go fitting. It's kind of maybe, maybe a little cheesy, but I hope it kind of paints a picture a little bit. The idea that he's in us and, and we're in him is almost kind of uh, kind of like, a, I don't know if I use the word cuddling, uh, but... My kids, Chloe and Noelle, and parents you can attest to this as well, especially when they're young. Uh, Chloe Chloe likes to come close to you and stuff, but Noelle's probably the more snugger. She kinda of barrows into you like a hedgehog you know, like a hedgehog or whatever going into the ground. She kinda of gets underneath you and, and you know, but Chloe for the most part does. And in our house, we have like a bazillion blankets. Like how many of you have like five hundred blankets in your house, you know? And so we have and sometimes I sit on the couch and they all, you know, sit next to me, you know, maybe for a little bit or whatever, but what we they start wrapping themselves around me, right? Then I wrap the blanket around them, and then they're with me, and they're wrapping. It's almost kind of that same thought process that when we're in him and he's in us, that we're all wrapped up in him, that he's with us, that he's for us, that, hey, dad, I'm feeling this way today. Well, it's all right. I still love you, son, right? Is that, is that painting a picture for you that we're wrapped up in him? The idea of us being in Christ and in him is like being wrapped up in him. When our failures creep up back in our minds or when others criticize and hurt us, we can rest assured that by his spirit, we are all up in him, some would say in Philly. Uh, We are all wrapped up in him. We have sweet communion with our Savior. He will never leave us nor forsake us, and nothing can separate us from the love of God. I want to leave uh, just with this last thought on this note, but um, I like reading hymn stories. I'm going to give you another one. Uh, but I love reading the history kind of behind them, even the modern and more contemporary ones, because there's, uh, especially in, in, uh, back in the day and long before many of us were even alive, but um, I just love to hear the heart and the people and how God uses trials and tribulations to provoke something where we sing it for ages. I mean, we sing it. And um, I like the story of uh, William Ralph uh, Featherston. He, uh, really, not a, not a long story, but he was 16 years old, And uh, he had just newly gotten saved and was on fire for the Lord and wrote this song. That's it. (laughs) But he was 16 years old is really what kind of blew my mind because it's a hymn that we all know. He was so wrapped up in knowing that Christ was in him and he was in Christ and that he was his Lord and his Savior and that nothing would separate him. And he said this famous first line, My Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. For thee, all the follies of sin, I resign. My gracious Redeemer, my Savior, art thou. If ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. I love what he says. This is 16 years old. And he says, I know thou art your mind. And that's a great truth that all of us can be rest assured and have confidence in. Are you in Christ? Have you believed on Jesus as the true Messiah who came and died for you and for me? For our sins and rose from the grave so that he, we, he could purchase our salvation. If you have never done that, listen, before you get to the other steps, you have to believe on him. You have to come to Christ. And even in a Sunday night setting, as pastor and all of us have said, and we'll continue to say each time, if you don't know him as your savior, uh, and I don't mean you've prayed a prayer. I'm not saying that you've had an experience. Do you know him? Is the love of Christ in you? Have you been changed? But for a Christian tonight, have you had doubts? You know that you have trusted Christ and believed on him and even had evidence seen throughout your life every now and again, but especially when you may have had times in your life when you may have not been fully living like you should. Maybe your walk with God became stagnant or cold and that then led you to your heart to condemn you. I haven't even been there. I've found sometimes in most parts of my life where if I had doubts, it's because I'm not walking with him. I'm not abiding with him. He's never left, but the moment I draw and he brings me back, Then I say, yes, I forgot. Yeah, you are my dad. I'm your son. I'm your child. But maybe some of you have had that in your life. Understand this truth, that God knows his children and is greater than our hearts. And just like the father of the prodigal son, he is waiting and ready to receive you again, to remind you of his love for you, that your position in him has never changed. There's a party waiting for you. Once we have done this, we can begin to build our confidence and enter into his gates with our needs and requests and into his courts with praise. If God has used this ministry in any way to be a blessing to you, please take a moment to send us an email to info at opendoornj.org. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at opendoornj.org. Thanks for tuning in.